2: Chumba,
1: ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to more to go and in need of a friend the king of peaceful angelo talking the 500 until the end talking the
2: 500 until the end with my man j m on the
0: 500 talking the 500 until the end
2: Song is miss you it's by the Rolling Stones from the 1978 record Some Girls. It's also number 270 out of 500 on the 500 with me. Joshy Adam Myers. Uh, I am sick as a dog right now. Uh, can you hear it? My voice is even it's even deeper and it's it's nasally, I'll give you that. But uh, thank you for tuning in. To the only podcast where a comedian is going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. We're doing the stones, baby. This is a big episode. Um, before I get into that, just to let you guys know I will be at Moon Tower Comedy Festival April 19th to the 21st. I will be at the comedy store April 22nd to the 23rd doing the jam and shimmy shimmy ya. And then I'll be closing out my West Coast trip headlining the La Jolla Comedy Store April 28th through the 30th. And then you can catch me in Baltimore beginning of May. I'll be at Jacksonville. I will be at Dead Crow in North Carolina. And then, what did you say? Oh, July 28th through October 15th, I will be uh, hosting, just rocking, really, the uh, Backroad Baptism Tour with Jelly Roll. Uh, couldn't be more excited to do this. It's gonna rule. Um, will be 44 different arenas all throughout America. And, uh, or as, as, as fucking, as Marin called him, he's like, who you opening for? Jellybean? No. Um, all right. What are we to talk about? Uh, have you subscribed to the Patreon? For $5 or more a month, uh, you get to be a part of this show. You get to ask questions, you get merch, and you get to support a great cause. Go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast, get the episodes early, and you get all the video for it. Except for today's episode, we didn't do video. All right, we're here. We're at the part that you can go right into the episode now, right? Here's what's cool about this episode is that I am now a fan of the Rolling Stones. The band rules but being able to sit down with the one and only Mark Marin and talk about a band that he loves you know he's he's performed we talk about it, he's done the goddamn comedy jam or he's played you know sympathy for the devil little red rooster um, he he's just his his love for the band rubbed off on me and uh, i can't thank him enough uh, cuz even after we after we were done with the episode Cause he was like, she was still wanted to introduce me to more Rolling Stones. He took me upstairs to like his like living room, and on his record player, he goes sit right in the middle of the couch, and then he put on Monkey Man off of Let It Bleed, and I was in. Um, so this is a fun one, guys. Oh, I forgot to say, you know, if you don't know who Mark is uh, from the What the Fuck podcast, uh, Thinky Pain, Too Real, End of Times, Fun. And his brand new HBO special from Bleak to Dark. He is he is one of my favorite stand-up comics. And to be able to have him on this podcast finally, and it was cool. The reason we didn't do it on Zoom, because he was like, I don't do Zoom. I'm like, perfect. And we recorded this in the same place that he does WTF. Which we should start a petition to get me on that. We gotta start a petition. Cause I've got too many good stories. Um, all right, rate review. Most importantly, subscribe to the 500. Listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on social media. Email the podcast at 500podcastgmail.com. At Buy tickets to my tour, joshadammyers.com. And follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And we got a website, the 500podcast.com. All right, guys, here we go. Some Girls by the Rolling Stones at 270. This is a big deal, everybody because I never thought I was ever gonna get you on this podcast, even though you are perfect for it,
1: because I've had to whittle you down. Well, I mean, also it was, a, I, I get it, but I mean, some of the records you offered me, I was like, eh. And then uh, other times, I did. you're never here. But, but you offered sure. me a bunch of records, but I, I I think there was, almost we almost did a Velvet Underground record.
2: We almost did Velvet Underground. I've, I do remember, I'm trying to remember the records that I have offered you. I want to look at the list because it's been hey, like- Was
1: it a Kinks record? And I was like, eh.
2: Well, you, I sent you- a Kinks thing, and then I told you I loved Layla, Lola, Lola and, and I'm like,
1: you're wrong. You shit
2: and I, on and me. And I, so not odd. a bad
1: song, but I, but see, like I've come into a lot of music that I should have known, that you would have thought I would have known about earlier, but I, I didn't. I just within the last five years got the Kinks, Muswell Hillbillies, okay, uh, and some of the other earlier Kinks stuff. I didn't have them into full in full perspective until the last decade, it wasn't like I grew up with, like being a total Kinks fan. But
2: what's funny is when I reached out to you about that and you were like that song sucks. It didn't say sucks. You said it's you said it's uh it's uh what was the word you used? It's it's like a gitchy like a, a novelty song. A novelty song. Yeah. And and then you started sending me right. a bunch of music which from my perspective if I would have had would have thought that you had been a fan of theirs for fucking decades. Right.
1: Well, cuz I got hip to well that album that Lola's on Superman versus uh Lola or whatever it's called. That that's kind of a great record it's a weird record and but i was it, it's all pretty new to me because i'm buying records dude yeah. you know like i started buying vinyl i don't know how long it's been but it hasn't been that long right yeah. like 10 like i had a few hundred records when i was in high school and then i got into ah, fuck, i'll do the backup I'm a little late but i got into uh buying vinyl and then it just got away from me so i replaced the original few hundred that i had and then I just started adding stuff, and along with the vinyl buying, I started getting educated about music that I kind of knew about, but I didn't. Yeah, what were you like in in high school? Were you yeah. like an audiophile then? I don't know. You know, there I had a, a weird mix of things going on in high school because I grew up in New Mexico in Albuquerque, and you know, it was pretty straight up kind of towny rock place. Like I remember in high school, I remember when. Van Halen 1 came out. Yeah. Like, I remember when the first Foreigner album came out. I remember- it cold as ice! Yeah, that came out when I was in high school. It was that a big deal. Rules. Yeah, uh, <laughs> And I remember when uh, the Dire Straits first record came out. Okay. But there was a lot of stuff going on, because I was I graduated high school in uh, 81. So I was there from, what, 77, 78, 79, 80, 80 like 78 on. So the 78 to 81, this is a pretty weird time for rock. But I remember those records coming out because you could hear guys playing them in their fucking cars. Yeah. Like the doors open, Jensen Triaxle's cranking. <laughs> but but also I was influenced by, I had a job across from the university, uh, the Posh Bagel, it was a bagel joint. And I was like working there as a manager. Isn't that apropos?
2: <laughs> yeah. Sure. The only Jew in New Mexico yeah. working
1: at a bagel well, joint? Well, there was some more of us. The, the owner was a New York Jew, Eddie Waxman. But no, uh, it but was a small community. It's about half, there's probably about 500, 600 families yeah. in Albuquerque when I was growing up. I'm still friends with a couple of my Jew guys from Hebrew school. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. There were eight of you. Yeah. It's true. Uh, And I know all of them. Uh, But like, you know, my family's from Jersey, so I was back and forth. But nonetheless, the guy who worked at the record store next to the Posh Bagel was this guy, Steve LaRue, who was in this kind of experimental rock band. So he was turning me on to all kinds of weird shit. Like, real early. Like, Eno, The Residents, Fred Frith, like, you know, Noise Rock. And then there was another guy that worked there, Jim Regan, who was all about old soul. So, like, these guys were kind of influencing a lot of how I thought about music. And then the The store itself, the owners were sort of R and B driven, so they gave me all these promos, a box of records that I kept for years that they wouldn't play in the store. Like what? And it, well, there was Tom Waits, Nighthawks at the Diner, yeah. the, Double yeah, Live, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elvis Costello's first record, okay. uh, Tom Petty's first record, like all these records they weren't going to play at the store, and I, and that's how I got hip to a lot of stuff was from that box. Oh yeah. god damn! This box rules. It was it was amazing. I'm trying to remember what else was there. there. Was a couple George Thorogood records in there. I can't remember. There was some stuff like, I don't. I, I I'm, taking records from people was like sort of how I got hip to a lot of stuff. But the Stones, yeah, because this is, I, dude. This is where I when I I'm, yeah. I don't. First of all, I got to tell
2: you how excited I am yeah. right now because, you know, for, just for all the listeners out there for the Fleet's Army when. When when I met you I met you at the unknown theater years ago and I and I'll never forget Where the fuck was that? The unknown on Santa Monica and Seward. You remember that? Remember that guy, Sachs car used to run those shows. This is when uh, oh, the theater was this... it?
1: Like that powered something show, Power Punk or pa-
2: no, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. of. Power Bottom, I
1: think, or that was no, the show, right? Not that power was Bottom. It was <laughs> something extreme. <laughs> power, what's more non-extreme than Power Bottom? Power Bottom is a contradiction. <laughs> yeah. It's an ironic juxtaposition of This yeah.
2: was this was right when what the fuck was really starting to come what out. It was like and that
1: big open space, big open space. Yeah, yeah. And I and
2: I remember I was like hosting or doing a set and yeah. you're, you know, I always looked up to you as like one of the, uh, one of the coolest this, guys this in comedy. going to be
1: one of those bad stories. No,
2: it's not. Well, you did, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing an impersonation of a bee or something. Yeah. And I just remember looking at your face and there's some disdain, maybe a yeah. slight
1: disgust. Yeah. And, and
2: then cut to...
1: Years later, when when I I have the same face last night when you had me on your show. It's it's true, (laughs) but it's gotten there's more of a small, (laughs) uh, like a slight smile that starts popping up a little bit. Yeah.
2: But when when, I I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's like when when you did the goddamn Comedy Jam for the first time, we mentioned this last night, where you were subbing in because we had a dropout. Burr was like, he called you because he's like, I need somebody to come in. Oh, at the Roxy? No, not at the Roxy. This is at the Lyric. uh, the
1: lyric. What was the one where we did we do them at the Roxy? We did do it at the Roxy. All right, yeah. But
2: we we did the Rock. Roxy was the first two years we're at the Lyric. Then we went to the Roxy,
1: and now oh we're the here Lyric. At the store, I remember. I remember.
2: Which a great. That's venue. where you
1: ripped hair out of a guy's head. Yes. Yeah.
2: And that. But this is the story <laughs> that, that he, what he's talking about is, well, first, yeah, I'll, I'll take it here. Yeah. So I call you, and I say, yeah. this is what you go, first of all, you go, you know, do we know each other? And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, yeah, we met at the Unknown Theater. Yeah, it was yeah, great. And yeah. then you're like, all right, well, what's the show? And I say, well, you go up, you're going to do stand-up, you tell the story, then you yeah. sing a song. And you're like, well, I'm thinking about... Just off the top of my head, I'd, I think I'd feel comfortable doing The Stones. I'm yeah. like, great. Yeah. Jumpin' Jack, Flash, sure. Brown Sugar. Yeah. If the audience knows the song, they'll go crazy. Yeah. And you, I swear to God, say, yeah, I could give a fuck about the audience. Uh-huh. I want to do <laughs> this 1964 B-side Japanese release, no. Little Red Rooster. <laughs> it
1: wasn't that that esoteric. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was pretty. it was pretty. What do you mean? I think they, like, I'm trying to think. Did they? I be, did. They ever do it on? They, I know they did it on the live record. It's a Howling Wolf song, and they great did song it, by the way. Yeah. yeah, it's great, and they did it on the Elmo Combos side of Love You Live. So, so that was the version that I was doing. But it's a, it's an old Howling Wolf song. Howling Wolf did it, you know, many times. I'm trying to think. I feel like the Stones did it on their first or second album. But yeah, go ahead. So you but didn't you didn't know that song. I had no idea. But I didn't realize the idea of the of the fucking of of the show was like sort of a a a, a, a kind of a karaoke. It's it's
2: it's that's that's a that's a bad word. Karaoke is
1: bad. No, but word. I mean it's it's more like cuz like I take playing music like probably more seriously than I should and I don't really know how to do it in a goofy way. Sure. Um so and
2: dude, I well, and I'll tell you that God's honest truth. You're one of my favorite people that we have on the show because I, there's nothing I see that or feel is cooler than watching you go up there and trade licks with either my guitarist or my violinist or whoever, where you can you can like hold your own. Like you oh, could have yeah. been, you could have been, you could have really been a rock star if you. I remember to the
1: violinist version of your uh, he, band. Yeah, well, he that was a, that ended very badly. <laughs> it did. Th- it ended badly it, with it, the violinist. It, it was just, it's just more like
2: not to sit here and, and shit talk him. It's just sure. that he almost ended the show through playing the the band against me, and he was playing both sides, trying to divide us. Really? Just because he wanted, he was. It's he was constantly trying to get closer to where, in his head, he thought he was the show. Huh. Does that make sense? So- you know I thought, I mean? like,
1: I couldn't even understand why he was on the show. He was
2: brought on second show by Joel, who you've met and played yeah. with. Uh, and because we needed, we were trying to build the band at the beginning. Okay. And uh, we was like, we got this guy. Because I was trying to piece it together with people from the L.A. comedy yeah, scene. Yeah, Like yeah, I was yeah. like, Dave, not Dave, uh, Brad Watson from the comedy store. I brought him in as a keyboardist. He didn't gel with them. And they were like, listen, let us merge this band and put something together. Right. They brought Jay on, the violinist, knowing that the audience thought he was, like, super cool and he'd be able to, like, he's a showman. It's a showman, that Flying V violin, and to be up there. But who
1: the fuck, but, like, what is that? Like, I just was sort of like, how is this, what is that?
2: It's a showman. He's a violin player. Oh, dude, when they told me they were going to bring me a violinist, I was like, I don't fucking want to... We're not Yellow Card. Like, what is I don't is even this? know what that is. That's Yellow Card is a emo band from like mm. 2004 where they but had you like know, a oddly, violinist.
1: You know, Camper Van Beethoven, who I love, yeah, uh, had a violin player. That guy, Jonathan Siegel. And it was great because it was it fit in with their music. I have nothing against violin. I just didn't know how it was going to fit into your silly band. And, and
2: here's the deal. Uh, more people complimented him and his style of playing because it was like... It's just he's got this thing janging out of his neck. Yeah. He's shredding. He wears like clothes with like tassels. Yeah. And he's like also like five foot two. Or right. He's jumping around like a little demon. So it. it was yeah. it was cool. But um, where was I? We were talking about the, the stones, the stones, the right, right, stones. We yeah. have to, there's a, right now there's some 54 year old guy that's listened to this podcast that's really mad at us. He's like, I don't care about the jam. No, Talk about no. the record. It was, Talk about. Yeah, the- You made that guy up. <laughs> no, you think I'm fucking kidding? Oh yeah. That's 90% of my audience. 90% just,
1: of the 12 that, people. They, I, we got 14, 15. All right. All right, all right the numbers have been you. growing. That's they're going great, up. That's great.
2: The great. But this is, when it came down to it, it's like you not only said, I'll do Little Red Rooster, you said, I will do Symphony for yeah. the Devil. And we still talk about that moment. That was crazy. Where you made the transition from Little Red Rooster <laughs> and Avery drops that that first chord yeah. into Symphony yeah. and the crowd just lost it. Yeah. The, the, there's photos of it where you play and you're wearing like the, the short sleeve with the collar. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. And... Then I keep asking you to do the podcast, showing you yeah, different yeah. bands, yeah. and I, I sent you a different record uh, for the Stones. What was it? It was, um, fuck, it's before this. I think it starts with a B. I'd have to look it up. But I used you did not say that one, and then I I threw this one out. Was it between were- the buttons? Yes. Yeah. It was between the buttons. Yeah,
1: because like, uh, what's, what the fuck is on that one? Like, because like, you know, I know that record. I own that record. Let's see what's on that one. Tomorrow's uh, Yesterday's Paper My Obsession Backstreet Girl This is not like This is not prime stones For me Yeah You know what I mean Um, Let's spend the night together Okay Some good
2: stuff on there Yeah it was a a fun record
1: Yeah but like You know I get it Like some people think Like the weird thing About the stones Is that in terms of me loving the Stones, there's still like plenty of Stones that I've never fucking heard in my life. Really? Yeah, I'm like, I'm not a total nerd. I'm not a, a, I'm, I'm mildly obsessed, but <laughs> even when I get obsessed, even if I amass all those records, and I have all the Stones records, I think. There's I would say, I them. well, I think I have all of them. There are some that I don't know that well. And, and you know, it took Delray, you know, like, I have these later Stones records because I just want to, I'm, I'm sort of a completist. So if I'm on a journey to have the records, all the records, I'll get all the records, yeah. but I don't always get to them. But he had to say, like, look, man, you know, because a lot of people will think a lot of people say that this record we're talking about is the last Great Stones record. But you know, you, you think about I love tattoo you. Yeah, I was and I say, love what about tattoo you? Yeah, but that's bits and pieces of other periods. I mean, apparently. It's some it's stuff that was supposed to be on some girls. Uh an emotional rescue I like too, but after that, like undercover, dirty work, steel wheels, people like steel wheels, but Dean, like Voodoo Lounge, Bridges to Babylon. A bigger bang and blue blue and lonesome. That's the fucking that. dude. But anyway, so a lot of those 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 later period Stones records, Dean says there's always like two great Stone songs on all of them. And he's right. Blue and Lonesome though, that's their it's a blues album. It's all blues, and no one knows about it, it seems, but it's just blues covers and they put it out in 2018, dude, and it's just straight it could have been their first album. It's great. Yeah. The best. Uh, I've no, I, here's
2: my, and I hate to admit this, like yeah. I, and I was talking to my friend Morty about it. I'm not gonna act like I'm this huge Stones fan, but there's something about the Rolling Stones where I'd say almost everybody can can go to a Stones concert, and if they play the hits, I know that. I know that. I know that. Yeah. And I've always, I've always liked them. Yeah. I, always, I hated the comparison between the Beatles and them because I feel like they're two totally different groups. Yeah. Whereas, like the Beatles had what you know nine records over a seven-year span, and the Stones have put out what seventy albums. No. I mean something crazy with live albums and compilations. Definitely not seventy. It's, it's something ridiculous. Okay. But but what I'm not saying is they're they're totally they're two totally different bands. Yeah. So where did you where did it start? Like get me there because if you're you're working in the bagel shop, you
1: know is this playing? Well, I mean, no, I think like because like as I look at the list of albums, it's like two, four, six, eight. is like twenty, maybe thirty records. But but there, I'm not looking at their live records. But there's not a huge amount. But like if I look at the Stones records, it means something to me. That first record. England's newest hit makers. Yeah. I think like the first time that I really remember loving the Stones was when I was in seventh grade. Um so that, I don't know what year I would just post bar mitzvah probably. How old are you in seventh grade? Um eleven. 11 12, No, 13. You, you, yeah, three. You're, you're fourteen 13, in seventh grade? Thirteen, maybe thirteen. I was fourteen in freshman year of high school. Right. So all right, so eighth grade. Yeah, you're like you're like twelve. Seventh or eighth eighth grade. Yeah. Really? That's wild. Well, anyways, we used to take a school bus, and this guy, Eric Titman, who lived down Corrales, used to come on. Like, I had a cassette player. So he would make cassettes from his dad's records, you know, just literally like holding it up to the records. (laughs) And on there, on that playlist that he put on a cassette that I would play on the bus was uh, Sweet Virginia. Uh, One of my favorite Stone songs of all time. Yeah. uh, Off Exile. Yeah. And, uh, and it had a skip in it, and for years I, I would listen for that skip, no matter where I heard Sweet Virginia, because th- that one that we played on the school bus was yeah. so in my head. Yeah. And, and Midnight Rambler was on there too. I believe it was the live version. So that was really the, be- the beginning of the Stones thing. And then when I got into blues music, I don't know, I remember, I don't think I had it on record. But I had the Rolling Stones first record, England's, England's n- newest hit makers, and actually introduced me to songs like Root 66 and uh, I Just Wanna Make Love To You is on there, and Little By Little, it's a Jimmy Reed song I believe, um, King Bee" by Slim Harpo, Carol, their version of the Chuck Berry song, Yeah, Tell Me, which is a Keith Richards and Mick Jagger song, uh, Can I Get a Witness, a Marvin Gaye tune that they did, but I didn't know that Marvin Gaye did it, I heard the Stones first, Walking the Dog they had on there, uh, you can make it if you try. It's just this great first record, and it's so pure, and it's all. And I listen to the fuck out of that. With lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly
2: beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. And then I think, like, somewhere in the same zone as, I I think I had that first record later, they were on SNL. And I used to watch SNL when I was in 7th and 8th grade. So they must have been on there for some girls, which was what, 78? Yeah so at that point i am um 15 okay and i'm watching snl and the stones come out and jaggery looks ridiculous have you seen that? I haven't seen any of the video from Well, this is like everything I know about them when,
2: when all the research I did uh finding about this record is that yeah. like they're, you know, he's he's uh they're living in New York, he's like He's trying to do he, a thing. He's, he's like, tr- you know, go hanging out with Truman Capote and Well, and- I
1: think also he was trying to straddle the punk thing. Yes. And yeah, the yeah. and the disco thing. Yes. Because on that record, there's a disco song and there's a punk song. There is. Uh so you know, the, I think the songs they did were—I I believe they did "Shattered" because it was kind of aggressive, and I believe they did um, "Beast of Burden." I don't know; you could probably check it. Um, are you checking? I'm it?
2: checking. Wait, no, so this is on. Yeah, they're both on this record, of course. Shatter, yeah, but "Shattered" is like. But the, Stones
1: on SNL '78. Oh, oh, oh! You know, I'll check right now. "Beast of Burden," yeah, is definitely there, and "Shattered," yeah, okay. So I was right. Because um, I thought they might have done Miss You, but they didn't. But I just remember watching Jagger, and his voice wasn't great that night. And it was just sort of like, what the fuck happened? You know, because I had it like I had this fucking image in my mind. He's wearing a hat. He's wearing these weird kind of plastic pants. And he had a punk rock t shirt on. And his voice was really hoarse and it was fucked up. Yeah. But I remember like fucking thinking, like, this is the fucking Rolling Stones, right? So. I was definitely into them then and I was into them enough like the I think it was the cover of Guitar Player magazine with Keith Richards on it. Someone just recently gave it to me. I bought a Telecaster because of Keith. I read an interview of of Keith when I was I was driving because he you get your driver's license. It must have been around 15 and I smoked Marlboro cigarettes because of him because he said he smoked Marlboro or Newport and and I d- drank Jack Daniels because of him. All the bad habits I got, I got because of him. And I bought a Telecaster, uh, but I I really couldn't play that well. But I just I loved the idea of Keith Richards. I think more than I knew the music at the time.
2: Yeah, would you say that like Keith is the the musical obsession? Has anybody ever equaled that obsession? Not obsession, but like you thought he was you know put him on this like. Pedestal? Well, I mean, I
1: think that most people would would consider him the sort of essence of the transition of rock and roll. I mean, he they really modernized you know, rock music with a few... And there, it was just a type of cool that almost everyone aspired to after it. You know, the Stones kind of built that template, you know, that became whatever Aerosmith was and whatever all the punk rock guys were doing. You know, like the Heartbreakers, not Tom Petty, but Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers and yeah. the New York Dolls. I mean, the Stones really started all that shit. You know, the Stones and the Glam guys. But, so I don't think anyone has been... Uh, as much of a, an obsession for me, but oddly, you know, there's I'm still learning things. I still like this. Is the I just literally within the last few months for, uh, tuned my guitar to an open G and took the bass string off, which is how he plays almost fucking everything. Is <laughs> but it just happened like I kind of knew that, but I didn't realize like that you could play can't you hear me knocking or brown sugar yeah. with that tuning and sound <clears throat> exactly correct because that's what he fucking does but it took me I'm 59 years old took me <laughs> this long to do that so like i said i mean i love and i've been obsessed with many of the stones records you know deeply obsessed with them uh but i i think i was more obsessed with the idea of him and and his particular cool than i was anything else yeah
2: there's actually an interesting story. I was talking uh, to my buddy when I was doing the research about yeah. this, about what the band is going through at the time, you know, where they're... Oh, in 78? Yeah, they're coming off two records that really didn't They lost a the ver- guitar player. Yeah, they so they, they lost uh, Brian, yeah. and uh, and so this is, I think this oh, is... Oh, they lost Mick. They lost so, Brian and Mick, and then they're, they're going on to, to Ron Wood, right? Right,
1: but, that, but I think the album before this was an audition album. Like I yes, think, uh, I think Black and Blue, which is one of my favorite Stones records, is literally them auditioning guitar players. Like I think there's several different guitar players on Black and Blue, if I'm not mistaken, and Ron Wood is one of them. Uh, and then before that, um, I'm trying to like before Black and Blue, it's only rock and roll. That was that was a fragmented record, but that was the last McTaylor record. But also one of my favorite records for me. The Stones period from Satanic Majesties, you know, through Tattoo You is really, you know, there's a lot of earlier hits there and that very first record, but those are the ones for me, man. So what, where does this album, because just before we even start digging
2: into the tracks and stuff, where oh. does this album, like, rank in what you would say is, like, you know let's say what is the best and then what's your favorite
1: i think that you know as time went on and like look i had this album in high school i had this album when it came out and i love this record now at first when you're a kid you know and you get this record it's sort of like well what is miss you you know uh yeah, it gets a little weird with Mick around this time, right? Because Black and Blue is sort of in the tradition of you know the kind of bluesy ballads and melodic. You, you What's know, on you know. Black and Blue? Oh my God! Because I've never
2: listened. This is, dude. I'm not gonna lie to you. This is besides Exile on Main Street the, and the the record that we did on the podcast. This um, is my third listening of a Rolling Stones record all the way through, where I'm getting well, hits. Hot, well,
1: hot stuff is on there, and Hand to Fate, great song. Cherry O Baby, which is a, a a kind of a reggae cover because Keith was. Sort into that yeah memory motel which is one of the greatest stone songs hey Negrita, which is i think another cover melody great um fool to cry you remember that one that was his falsetto hit that was a big hit yeah baby i'm a fool to cry and uh crazy mama which i think was probably left over from the exile period i'm not sure but look if you look at the musician listing there were there were three guitar players harvey mandel wayne perkins ronnie wood um so like I got the sense that they were kind of trying people out but as an album it's still sort of fundamentally a Stones record the same with uh it's only rock and roll cuz there's another there's a reggae cover on that too but that's a McTaylor record but a lot of Keith but also, I think Keith was way out of it. But either way... Well, Keith is
2: is going through shit right now. Yeah.
1: Like, this is like he's... Oh, he got busted in Canada, I think. There's, he's
2: fucking up all of their touring. They, he's yeah. having visa problems. He's, you know, I don't know if he's still on heroin or he's on his way off of heroin. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned Mick Jagger, where Mick Jagger is, is the head of the is a part of the social scene of New York City. Right. Um and that's also funny that that you know that you're doing this record because I remember when I told you I was moving to New York yeah. and you were like, you're like, why? And yeah. i was like, oh, it's great. All the comedy clubs there. Which clubs are you at? And I'm like, oh, I'm at this one. Uh oh, that's
1: horrible. <laughs> what about that one? <laughs> ah, that's a piece of shit. And that one's nice. still open? Yeah. Well, you know, I you know, I have a, uh, a an evolving sort of uh opinion with everything. Uh and New York for me was was pretty important. But uh but like it's not the same as the Stones as that period. Look, I get that Jagger was part of this that he wanted to be part of this nightlife but ultimately to answer your question yeah. um you know it seems that it was is sort of kind of a departure for them, but the weird thing about The Stones is you start to listen to some of this stuff, it's like, is it really a departure, you you know, when you look at the evolution of The Stones, like, Black and Blue is a pretty straight-up Stones record. And then, so, you listen to uh, some girls, which I loved, and there's a couple of real rockers on there, and it's a perfect fucking Stones record. So... You know, whether I evolved to believe that, but, like, even when I was a kid, like, there's every song on there is a fucking banger. Every fucking song.
2: Yeah. Um... You know, when I want to talk about New York, though, and ask you about this, because you know we're talking about the vibe, and you go there's so many like references to like you. There's the Bowery, and there's the yeah. this, and there's the yeah. that. You
1: in, know, the, in the record, you mean? In the, well, just like I
2: think every song kind of has like a New York vibe. A New York vibe. I mean, they're they're all recording this in New York City, yeah. And you became part of the alt comedy scene, which in a sense, and this is what's funny too about this record yeah. is that they're dealing with disco and punk rock, which right. are in the forefront in new york city yeah and then you when you go out to to new york new york you're a part of this you know what is considered basically the punk rock of comedy yeah
1: a little bit i mean like i when i first went to new york there was no alt comedy you know i was i moved down there from boston in 89 you know so like i was just trying to hammer it out i was a club guy regular club comic and but like i couldn't work at the cellar i couldn't work at catch so i'd work at the original improv which was, you know, kind of broken down by that point. over on forty fourth street, Silver Friedman, Bud's wife, had gotten it in the settlement years before, but it was the original improv. yeah, and I would work there and I'd work at uh, Barry Katz's Boston Comedy Club. So there was no alt scene until like ninety five. So I would you know, I first moved to New York in eighty nine and I would have to go up to New England to to work for a living. Doing stand up, doing one nighters. So I would go live down on the Lower East Side and then I'd drive up almost every weekend to Boston and the surrounding areas to make a living and then drive back down to New York to try to crack the bigger clubs, which I didn't do until, like, you know, Esty didn't let me in the cellar until I had an HBO half hour, really? like 95. And I never got into the original catch because I just wouldn't sit around and kiss ass. I couldn't hack it. <laughs> I just couldn't hack it. I couldn't see you doing that. I just I can't. <laughs> so you know, it, it, but the alternative comedy thing happened. It was like it was all built on the backs of club guys. I mean, the first alt shows in New York were me, Jeff Ross, Sarah Silverman, Todd Barry. It wasn't like there was this crew of fucking you know nerd acts that you know sure, were yeah, in, yeah. in 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 the wings. But what was happening, and there was some tension around it, is that. There was a community of performance artists that had sort of like you know you know carried the legacy of the original performance art scene in New in New York from the 70s. You know like uh, uh, Dixon Place and and the Worcester Group and you know people like Spalding Gray and uh, uh, you know Bogosian and and what's her name the one who used to you know uh, do the work with the Ams or whatnot. There was a performance art community that thought they, were, they weren't doing comedy. They were doing some other performing. There was a place called Surf Reality. There was a place called Collective Unconscious. And this was sort of a broader performance zone. It wasn't stand-up. And then when Luna Lounge opened, we had started at a bar called Rebar, which was not even in the Lower East Side. It was on the West Side. It was a weird fucking setup. There were no chairs in the back room. I don't know what the deal was. I think we did one show upstairs at some place for the first maybe one or two uh alt shows uh eating it it was called and then we moved to rebar which became a thing uh there was a back room there people sat on the floor and you'd do the business and then and then it, like other acts were starting to flow in you know it wasn't just stand-ups there was some you know sketch people it was around the same time that ucb had come to new york before they opened the place yeah they were just these four performers from uh from Chicago and then there was also the guys from the state yeah. uh, on MTV so sure. so there was this influx of non standups in that started to create this alt environment and then when we moved to luna lounge somewhere in the mid-'90s, then there was some of the performance art people, like Reverend Jen or Michael Portnoy, and Rick Shapiro was around, uh, that started to sort of integrate into the scene, so it evolved into something. But, oddly, most of the acts that were at the beginning of what's called alt-comedy were all traditional club acts, like myself, Todd, Jeff, Sarah. Louis would come around. Uh, You know, it was never a tells bag. The, the, The basic you know, sort of line was drawn with other club acts who didn't see the benefit of these spaces of just being like, if they're not paying, I'm not going to go. Like for me, I just saw it as a place for me to work out what I do and build whatever the fuck I was doing because I could just go, you know, rant and ramble and improvise. And that was sort of what I did there in a very angry way. But it it was, uh, uh, it was essential for me to find my voice even when I was doing club comedy,
2: that's so funny that when when like I I you made it seem like when I talked to you that time I was like God New York must have like whittled you down and this to hear you say that it's like it's it's there's there's such a good energy well, that here, flows through where? New York City right now I, I think so Here's, but
1: you did come up like, when I was coming up you know there was a, a relatively Aggressive and, and in retrospect, traumatizing situation in that, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't all these alt rooms. There wasn't a, there, a multitude of clubs, yeah. man. You had Catcherizing Rising Star, you had That's the true, comic yeah. strip, you had Stand Up New York, you had Dangerfields that I never even fucking set foot in. You had the Comedy Cellar, and you had Boston Comedy Club, and that was it. Now, the Comedy Cellar was, you know, they had some... You know, requirement. It was you know, and in, in, in retrospect, I fucking resent them. I resent them. I resent fucking Manny. I resent Esty, and I you know, and know him like whatever. Is that you know, the the hoops I had to jump through to get their fucking approval just so I could sit at that fucking table yeah. and work in that basement, which is not the greatest club in the world. Was you know, to me, once I did make it, it was sort of like, all right, well, that was something I had to go through to not fucking be passed until you do an HBO special. I and mean, what the fuck is no, that? You're right. And you know, and and they're also the the arrogance in general, you know, where... Look, I can work there. But for me, like, I go back to New York and there's part of me that doesn't even want to deal with it. You you know what I mean? It's like, I go back to New York, I shot my special at Town Hall, you know, and I sold out two shows. I sold out Carnegie Hall. I sold out The Beacon at the festivals, which is how the guy from Catch a Rising Star made it right with me, yeah. because I resented that guy forever, Louis Ferranda. He was the guy that would, the, the, pr, he was the decider at the old catch. You'd sit at the bar all fucking night, and, yeah. and he'd go, yeah, 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 get ya on. And then like after everyone is left, and there's four people, and it's like, all hey, right, man, when you're next, I wasn't gonna fucking do that. And I would talk shit about that guy for years. And then he started booking the New York Comedy Festival, he gave me Carnegie Hall, he gave me The Beacon, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> so so <laughs> my sense of new york is that it was so hyper competitive yeah. and i was made to wait for so long that a lot of what I, what's coming out of me is some sort of like you know traumatic resentment is that like i i don't feel the need to go swing my dick around you know and uh, you know i liked seeing certain people uh, when i'd go hang out at comedy clubs you know but like my home is really the comedy store and when i'm in new york like I guess I, I just used to like to go see everybody, but the whole landscape just shifted, and there's, there seems to be a tension within the community around certain comics, and I don't know, man. I, and I never really worked the stand. And, uh, yeah, was,
2: you had already gone by that point, right? Yeah,
1: and, I, you know, and you know, I used to work the strip, and I used to work stand-up New York, but I don't need to go back there. It really, it comes down to, are you going to go to the cellar? Sure. And, and like I used to like to go to the cellar, but then there was some weird tension between me and Noam over something that he misunderstood uh, that I said in an interview about his father. And then after that, where you know he was sort of cunty in a you know a text interaction with me, I was like, I don't fucking need it. I don't need it. Yeah. So so that is sort of like has kind of uh, muddied the waters for me and how I feel about uh, New York stand-up or, or, or some of the clubs. It's just sort of like it was some part of my past. And 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 again, like I'm gonna say all this shit. And like, for and like there sometimes I feel like there's tension with me in certain comics, and it's like, whatever, man, I don't need to deal with it. I don't need to deal with it. I guess you know I could call the stand and go do some spots sure but it was like it was me punching through the New York comedy scene when I was a young angry Jew was no easy task and there's part of me it's sort of like the improv I won't go work at the fucking improv I won't set foot in the fucking improv any of them because to be honest with you I don't want to sell drink number one for those fucks they didn't help me coming up what do I owe them nothing like you know we're just supposed to suck it up to be mistreated for you know years by these people these gatekeepers and then once we come around to be like all right we're all friends now let me make you some money go fuck yourself
2: God, you're so right. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
1: Especially that last part where you looked in my eyes, you were like, go fuck you. I was like, good God, dude. Yeah, I mean, but like, what does it get me? I'm a dry drunk fuck with all these resentments. I I should look at it like, as like, well, look, a stage is a stage. What do you care if they make $12 off you selling drinks? You want to go do a show for your fans? Go do it. So like, so no, I'd rather be stuck in these dumb petty resentments.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but this is a New York record. (laughs) Yeah, getting back to it.
1: No, and I feel that to a degree and I understand where Mick was at, but like, and it's a, it's a New York record, you know, I get the disco thing, but like, you know, when you look at the rest of them, yeah, some girls, it it feels like a a New York record. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's like that Beastie Boy songs, you know, what's that Beastie Boy song? You know, girls. You know, yeah. like that one. Dun, 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 that one? No, where they're just riffing, you know, the Long Island girls and then they're just a uh, 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 to all the, it's on It's on Paul's Boutique. Um, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name
2: of it. Uh, it's all right. Well, this is like, you, I Go think ahead. you mentioned this a little bit earlier about this is like, you know, when we talked about the, the Stones are, are, you know, are really being, you know, you have disco, you have punk rock. And this record, you know, is kind of like a real opportunity for them to basically stay relevant. This is like a snorkel, Do you know what I mean? Like, because they, if this record bombs, they're, they're, like, they're not, They're, you know what I mean? It's just like, that would be their third record in a row that's not, that doesn't do well. And, but by bringing this, this is kind of what gives them a little bit of room to breathe, which eventually then they can have with the hit record Tattoo You.
1: Right. Uh, well, look, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying and you know, I think that I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to remember, uh, if there was a hit on black and blue that I remember that, that you remember the advertising campaign for black and blue is crazy. No, I don't, um, Oh, love you live. Oh, so in between black and blue and some girls is love you live, which is great and that's the one where I think he had they had to play it's a live record and he had a they had to play a concert in in Canada to get Keith uh, you know off the hook I think I, I don't know yeah the, no the, they had
2: to do a he had to do a
1: uh, but that was really I guess the audition for Ronnie was was that with those concerts but this Love is you the first
2: this is the first record where he's an actual member at this point yes
1: now. yeah but uh, do you China.
2: see a difference between the playing of of uh, fool to cry
1: on by the way, on on uh, on Black and Blue was a pretty big hit, dude. Sure,
2: mm-hmm. oh, I mean, look, here's the deal
1: yeah, it's it's I I
2: know for the most part 99 percent of the hits for the Rolling Stones. Uh, I know Exile on Main Street, the record we did on the podcast, and now this one. Uh-huh. This is this so far, I mean, Exile on Main Street is my favorite Rolling Stones record. Uh, I might have ever heard, and huh. I see why it's considered one of the greatest rock records of all time.
1: I, uh, you know, I, I, I go, I waver on on my favorite Stones. I, you know, I, I kind of fluctuate. I've had several different favorite Stones records.
2: Well, have you gone through? I mean, obviously with you because you like them and you've you've, no, you've listened to them for so long. You probably have moments where you're like, oh, well, I really like, oh, I really like the early stuff, and then you you're like, oh, actually, you know, uh, Bridges to Babylon son- suddenly is starting to get me.
1: No, it wouldn't be that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> But um, hold on, I want to get the list back up here. No, but it's definitely like that first Stones record, which I told you about, you know, introducing the Rolling Stones. Yeah. I would defend that record forever. But like, it's like, it's unfair to say that's my favorite Stones record. For for me, uh, Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, those two were the high mar- high watermark for me. That was like, I love those records. I love them. Yeah. I still love them. They're fucking great. Sticky Fingers gets pretty trippy, but that's where you get Can't You Hear Me Knocking? So Sister good. Morphine. Yeah, I love that. I think, is Moonlight Mile on there? Yes. Uh, yeah, and then like Exile, that was sort of an undertaking. You gotta really sit down with that fucking record. It's the double album, but that's where Sweet Virginia's from. But I love that record. And I know all the songs, and there's a lot of songs on there. But for years, it, you know, I was weird because I really was a beggar's banquet guy. Uh, I just love the groove of that Goathead Soup. Again, I think that might have been. That's the first Mick Taylor record, maybe. But there's a lot of great songs. Angie's on Goathead Soup. Baby I mean, that's rules. a that's a fucking monster of a song. Starfuckers on there. Um, Star Star uh, Dance with Mister D. 100 years ago, coming down. Oh, there's great songs on that fucking record.
2: But also, speaking of this one, I mean, there's some great songs on this record.
1: On what? What? On on the one we're doing Dude, every song on Some Girls is a great song. It's great. Every fucking song. New York or not. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, this is Paul Phelps.
0: You do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there.
2: What do you think of Miss You? What do you think of the idea of them coming up with their... It took me a sense, while to like it. Really? Because this is what was shocking. I just didn't think that this would be... Because this is in a sense like their, you know, their
1: disco song. I, mean, I get it, but I didn't associate it with that necessarily until someone pointed out to me that listen to the beat. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a disco song, but like... But like there's harmonica on it. There's a, you know, there's kind of, there's some fucking fun guitar on it. They, they, the, this is where Ronnie and Keith really fucking come together. And the, the guitars are fucking menacing. They're great. And there's that weird phaser that I think Keith's got on there. Like on every song, like But, uh, but like, I I thought Missy was silly, but in the same way that like sometimes I feel like uh, Fool to Cry was silly. Sometimes you tolerate Nick. I did a whole bit on that. You know, like if you're, you just, you just got. If you're a Stones fan, you're gonna have to tolerate Mick sometimes, and it's not easy. Wait, What do you mean, tolerate him? He's like... a fucking annoying. He's annoying, man. He's annoying. He's always preening. He's always cute. He needs so much fucking attention in a way that's not that cool. And yeah. and 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 sometimes he he does uh, silly songs. And um, I mean, Missy was okay, uh, but but I grew to love it. I grew to love it, I, and like, and I grew to really understand that I believed for a while that Some Girls was the last Great Stones record. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. You know, when the whip comes down, great.
2: The guitars Which great. is great. But this is like, uh, you know, it's about homosexual, tragic story of a gay drifter who moves to L.A. to New York and becomes a garbage collector or a prostitute, don't, depending don't, on how Don't ruin literal. the song for me. Okay, okay, I'm I'm the, uh, I don't know what that, is that true? Is that the backstory? What, that's what my dude found. Really? Yeah. You know, this is about the close, and this is also probably the closest Stones ever came to punk rock. It's so funny that they opened this and record. And shattered. Well, yes, but it's like, this is, I mean, when I listened to this for the first time, especially after hearing Miss You, and yeah. this was the follow-up song, yeah. I was like, are these on the same fucking record? Well, yeah, did but Spotify they do that- just
1: switch something? No, they do that all the time, those Stones. Like, you know, if you look at any of the records, and then, you know, you get this amazing old R- R&B cover. Uh, yeah, you know- not, I, I, that,
2: that, to be honest with you, because yeah. uh, I know they did a lot of covers starting off, out of this whole record, that was probably my least favorite song. It's not bad, but everything else just fucking rips. Like some girls, like when they, by the time this came on, uh, after just my imagination, I, I was so into the record. And I was just, I wanted like, I, it's now this, you talk about where, and I know because we're both having addictive personality. You're just like, oh, I just want to hear more. I can't wait to listen to the next record. Yeah, but then they mix, after this. they mix it up.
1: They mixed it up. You know, I mean, "Some Girls" is kind of a funny song. Great harmonic on that one too. "Lies" is a rocker, and then "Faraway Eyes." They're always fucking throwing a country thing, and it's surprising there's not a uh, um, a, uh, a a reggae song on this album given the time. There's like, there's like, there was a kind of like a
2: slight. There's a slight reggae tune, if I'm not mistaken. But wait, I have a question I wanted to ask you about fucking. Uh, about some girls because there was a lot of. They did a
1: cover on, what was it? It's on Only Rock and Roll, I think, is when they Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Then they did, they did, they covered Ain't Too Proud to Beg. I they think do so. it.
2: Yeah. Where's the goddamn question that I have? Hold on. I think I have it in my phone or I have it at the end of this. Hold on. There, okay, here it is. So, uh, so there is because the band has never been one to like shy away from like controversial subject matter. They had the uh, perceived like racial insensitive "Brown Sugar," uh, the sexism of "Star Star." Under my thumb was even like people yeah, no, like know, got yeah. pissed off about. Wait, uh, but
1: that was like a few years ago sure under my thumb became under fire I, and and brown sugar is racist and uh and uh what was the other one <laughs> uh,
2: I, I don't think they're black, racist. the black and blue album ads that's uh, right i was going to tell you about up, yeah. that well, the, that was
1: clearly disturbing sure, sure. i get yeah
2: um and so this was basically them trying to do like a ricky nelson's like you know traveling man or like california girls this song uh some girls yeah the the album uh, title yeah so and then there's the line in the song uh, when he gets to do black girls just want to get fucked all night yeah. and I just don't have that much jam yeah uh, you could kind of see why and I, which I found is like Jesse Jackson met with Atlantic Records but Atlantic was like we're not pulling the song like this is yeah. what it is um and I wanted to ask you about this for being a comic because yeah. the whole point of what we do is to go up and and speak our truth. In yeah. a sense, you know, yours more so than mine. Mine more like I sing my truth yeah. and grab heads and pull heads. Yeah, I don't know. You
1: like know, that. like I, I, you know, insensitivity is insensitivity. Racism is racism. I mean, there, there, there's no question that there's insensitivity to all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. But,
2: but what I wanted to know is, have you had in your career any like blowback moments? And it doesn't have to be sure, racial. Sure. Sure. I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, I've gotten blowback moments. I, there's very few things I haven't done on stage. Uh, offensive or not, I've done horrendously uh, sexist jokes. I've done, you know, things that are racially insensitive without knowing it. I've done, uh, you know, trans uh, jokes that I didn't think were insensitive but were. Yeah. Uh, and the way that I found out about it, like, why I I know when I'm being sexist. Uh, and that joke that I did years ago was an experiment in that. And, you know, and I can't believe I, I ever did it and I don't even need to repeat it. But, um, but like I was doing a a story with an Asian voice in it that, you know, was somebody else doing the Asian voice and, you know, some Asian people came up to me and said, you know, even, even, even though you're saying it's not you, you're doing the voice and it's getting a laugh. So, and you know that that's what that's there for. So it doesn't matter. And I thought that was correct. Uh, so so I don't do it anymore. I did a joke about how I thought that um, uh, it was something that I thought was very trans-embracing about, you know, people getting the surgery and, and kind of, uh, you know, making themselves mythological creatures, you know, uh, which I thought was flattering. But yeah. uh, it, it was brought to my attention that it was insensitive. I used to do a joke uh, about, like, how, like, these guys who... And I imagine someone had to have done this joke before. And I don't know why I stopped doing it. About like the, the buyer's remorse of, of getting, you know, becoming a woman. You know, like the the dude who's sort of like, What the fuck did I do? He's calling his friends and he's sort of like, Why'd you let me do that? Yeah. What the fuck is wrong? I thought you guys were my friends. I got no dick now. Why'd you <laughs> fucking do that? And then i give it a pause and i go like, Yeah, you can come over and fuck me. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's okay so that's great, but like i I stopped doing it because like you know i, I but i s- i I mean I stopped doing a lot of jokes, they just you know, I moved past them, but like I used to do a joke about the word retard and you know, and then uh, some parents reached out to me and said, it's not about calling the mentally challenged people or intellectually challenged people um uh, retard. It, it, it really. It's about the entire family and everybody who knows them. Yeah. That. And, and I'm like, all right. That. Well, that adds up. There's no reason for me to sit there and try to. You know. And everyone's done that bit. Like, you know, I. I would. I'm not being. I, I just want to. I like the word. You know. It tried. It, it's like it's not worth the fight because it clearly is offensive. Not to to, to large groups of people that are dealing with a very difficult situation. So why do I need to do it for to make you know to make assholes laugh? So, yeah, I've had- (laughs) Why'd you have to point right at me? (laughs) I've had plenty of pushback, but it came in the form of people who like me saying, I think you should rethink this. Like someone recently, I was talking about uh, borderline personality disorder, and it was aggressive. uh, And, you know, this is material I'm working on now. And so a woman reached out. She said, look, I was at your show the last night and I was with somebody with a BPD and, and she found it, you know, hurtful what you were saying. And I realized like, well, what I'm saying is true, but maybe I'm not, you know, putting myself into it enough. And I realized like, I have to, you know, explain that I am not well, you know, I'm not some sort of beacon of uh, psychological mental health. Yeah. Mental health. Yeah. Uh, and then balance it out like that. So I continued to do it, but I altered my position in it. So yeah, I mean, I, I, of course we have to deal with that. I've had to deal with that, but it's never been on some grand scale where you know somebody tried to ruin me. No, of course no, of course not. And I don't think what they were doing with this.
2: It's like because it's all he's. I get what what Mick is saying. Yeah, you know? I don't think
1: I think as horrible as the the line in Brown Sugar or or even there's a there's one. Uh, uh, there, there's one in, uh, on Exile. Got a sweet black angel. Got That song uses the N-word in it. Yeah. But, like, uh, I don't get the sense that they're inherently, they're not no, racist I not don't, I No, don't I don't
2: think they're racist at all, but it's, and it, regardless if it was a, if it was a black chick, an Asian chick, a white chick, he's, he's just, you know, he's just objectifying just writing her. And, song, yeah. Yeah, he's just, it. he's just writing a song. Um,
1: but but it also like you know that that might be his experience, but it it becomes tricky that when something appears to be generalizing, like you know the difference between, he, between him saying like the black girls I know and black girls is a big difference. Yeah. So, but I get it. Yeah, it was insensitive. All right. You know. Yeah.
2: Uh, you would think though that Mick has enough jam. You would think that with he all he clearly of his- has enough jam. He's got <laughs> kids with that everywhere.
1: That guy. It's full of jam.
2: Full of jam, dude. Yeah. Um, all right, what's the next song? Let's talk about some girls. Oh, lies, lies. Lies song- is just a rocker. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Faraway eyes. That's great. Uh, that's a- I,
1: oddly not my favorite one on because that that song feels like a novelty, an, almost a novelty song. But but I do like the harmonies on it.
2: It's probably the twangiest song for sure.
1: Uh, but this is all their roots, you know. They do the R and B thing. They do like they, they didn't really put a blues number on there, but they kind well, of avoid and that.
2: That's what's funny. That was the thing I wanted to bring up. Is that you know you since I've known you, I, I quoted you. Because I've seen you post this somewhere on Twitter before. Uh, You're like, there's nothing better than slow blues. Blues is like it's this one music that that you can sit down with anybody and just say we're we're doing uh, e. we're doing walking and yeah. B and and you can go with it.
1: Well, yeah, because but sadly the thing about it, which is interesting about the Stones uh, is, and and blue and lonesome, is that you know blues are you know the 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 ter- the domain of bar bands like any relatively good player can get through a, a 12 or 8 bar blues. Sure, right? Yeah. And it's just like, it's hard to do it with any integrity. And it's gotten kind of hack. You know, that that's the problem with the blues. It's it's hack. And it's okay. It's fun to play. But, you know, you're not going to, you're, you're probably not going to bring anything to it. And, you know, you look at these sort of like, you know, like, kind of like inspired blues noodlers. Like, even people like, uh, Ah, uh, Gary Clark, or or Kingfish, or uh, that other guy uh, that Dino likes. Um, these kind of string wizards, even them, it's it's all good. But it's still that music. Like I don't listen to a ton of blues, you know, beyond you know the '60s. Yeah, really. I mean, I recently I listened to Sh- Cedric uh, uh, Burnside, who is R. L. Burnside's grandson, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I like that. Because it's kind of acoustic and a little bizarre, but like, but here's the difference: like, the Stones set out to be a blues band in earnest. That's what they wanted to be. Yeah. And if it weren't for the Stones, we wouldn't know. Americans wouldn't know a lot of black artists because they had to go through England with uh, the Yardbirds and the Stones, and you know maybe early Led Zeppelin and, and uh, um, a Fleetwood Mac and a few other bands to kind of bring it back here. Like you know, all these guys like Muddy and all those cats were just you know uh, uh, languishing. They were they were disappearing, and and the British invasion made it popular. So what's interesting about the Stones as a blues band in earnest when they started is that this Blue and Lonesome album from 2018 is all blues covers. And 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 in me saying that, like you know, that it's hard to make the blues your own because it's just that music. Yeah they you know they do a whole album of it and it's so clearly the stones and it's so interesting to hear them after 50 years returning to their roots and then turning that shit out as the stones now and making it and owning it completely like you listen to it it's a fucking stones album and these are blues covers yeah it's fucking genius <laughs> that fucking record. I'll play some of it for you. If you I mean, just just because I, I I'm curious. If you had to pick the three
2: records from the Rolling Stones catalog that if for somebody that's in living in a bubble and has never heard the Rolling Stones, what would be the three records that you would tell them you have to do this, you have to do this and you have to
1: do this? For for me, yeah. Well, you're going to have to pick up your old Stones, you know, somewhere. You know, I can't you know i i can't help you with the old stones the you want to listen to talk about well mother's little helper 19th nervous breakdown ruby tuesday under my thumb you know get hot rocks get the double collection because that'll go all the way through it well, one of those but for me like let it bleed is fucking essential yeah right and uh and sticky fingers is i think you know pretty fucking essential right uh and uh you know exile okay yeah I think those probably is
2: exile. Albums. Is exile there? I mean, because like I said, on the list that we're doing, it's number seven out of five hundred records. Saying yeah. this is the seventh best album that's ever been made. Yeah. Do you think it deserves to be up there? Yeah, 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 seven? yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, because they were, they were kind of like uh, you know channeling something. I mean, you, you have to realize, like, when you really think about it, like, what year is Exile? Is that like what, 70, 71?
2: Yeah, it's. I know it's early, early seventies. Um, I could look it up. See, like, because, like, think about it, dude. What?
1: Yeah, some people, like, what, what, what is the, where is the birth of rock and roll? How, when did rock and roll start? 1957. Some yeah. people think it was uh, that, that Rocket 88 song. Some people think it was Rock Around the Clock, All right, So that is the birth of the music. 57, 67, so now you're not even 15 years out. And those guys are in that fucking Chateau in France doing that album. Yeah. You're not even 15 years away from Hound Dog, dude. I mean, that's crazy. That is insane. So, you know, it's really about, you know, the evolution of the music and what they were able to integrate all drugged out in that fucking mansion. You know, so they there was sort of this kind of fusion of ideas and, and it moved the music forward so fucking much. Right. Like, where's the band Music from Big Pink on that fucking list? Uh, I'd have to look. Well, you know, they're are the, these just these albums that transform the form and move the music forward, and also, you know, clearly, you know, redirect what the Stones were about. But they kind of invented the rock ballad for Christ's sake. On that, like on that record, uh, what, what are you talking about? On Exile, uh, you know, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe I yeah I might be wrong. It's
2: uh, uh so music from Big Pink is comes in at number one
1: hundred. Wow, that's way down. Yeah. That's,
2: but I mean, Exile is still number seven.
1: But I just think it's really about the the movement of the music and where the Stones came from and their growth as a band, but also redefining what fucking rock music was. I mean, that's what that thing did. Yeah. Um, all right, I wanted to ask you about... What about come, the rest of the song?
2: Yeah, yeah, well, so we've got... Respectable's great Respectable's song. Respectable's great. And the Keith song's great. That's, yeah, this is what I wanted to get to before they make me run. This is, um basically uh about the rock and roll lifestyle that got Keith in trouble. This is him being the outlaw. Yeah. Um the original title was Rotten Roll. Um the lyric in the first section is about Keith Retcher's good friend Graham Parsons, booze pills and powders. You can choose your medicine. Well it's another goodbye to another good, good friend. friend. Uh, after
1: all this said and done.
2: Uh, he's Parsons, if, if you don't know, he died at 26 after taking overdose of alcohol and morphine. I think
1: they wrote Wild Horses for him.
2: Was that about him? That's such a great song.
1: But he's the guy that, you know, got the country in him.
2: This is the one of the songs that took Keith Richards the longest time to work in the studio. Um, he said, for for sheer longevity, for long distance, there is no track that I know of, like, before they make you run. Uh, which, which he sang, uh, was a cry from his heart, uh, but it burned up the personnel like no other. He was in the studio without leaving for five days. Uh, there was an engineer, Dave Jordan. He had another one. Uh,
1: and I know Dave f- Jordan. You know Dave Jordan. I met Dave Jordan. Yeah,
2: that's so. Have you met everybody? Have you you met Keith? I, I <laughs> met
1: him like you know through the thing, you know the secret society years ago, a million years ago. 2002. Illuminati? 2002.
2: You're Illuminati?
1: Yeah. A, AA mean, Illuminati moves. pyramid man. Can I unity can service? I get into this? I sure, mean, you can. You really? should be in it.
2: Really? You yeah. vouch for me to be in the Illuminati? But well, just
1: the branch that's AA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'll make the coffee. You know yeah. what I mean. I'll do. I'll do all the, of that. The
1: Illuminati meetings. What is the third uh, side of the triangle? Unity service. Uh, fuck. I forget. Go ahead. It's on the coin. I, I, well,
2: it's, what I had a good question that I had written down about this. I'm trying to figure it out about what had been going on. Oh, on you're Keith talking Richards. about Keith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, yeah, it's an honest song and, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's a great Keith song. It's a great lick. And, you know, it, it's sort of defining of the survival nature of Keith Richards. You know, the idea of him saying another goodbye to another good friend. Like, yeah. it's not, th- I'm going to miss this guy. It's like, and he, he does it all the time. Charlie's dead, man. You know, Bobby's dead. Like, he, you know, all these cats are going, and he's still there. And as he lives longer, his humility is deeper. He's sweeter. He's uh, clearly at peace. You know, it, it's kind of uh, amazing that, you know, that guy gets to live and, and, and become sort of like an entirely different dude. Like the, as he's,
2: as over the years, he's just...
1: Well, look, I interviewed him a few months ago. He's so fucking, he's hilarious. He's, you know, uh, he, he's, he's, he's deep. He's got a lot of humility. I think he's grateful to be alive. And, you know, you can feel the sadness. I mean, the, you can feel the sadness, uh, uh, that he lost, you know, uh, Bobby, the the sax player, Bobby uh, Keys, and and Charlie. I mean, those th- those were heavy hits for him. Yeah. And he feels it, man. He feels it coming down on him. And you know, his sort of existential attitude is pretty fucking amazing. I think he's highly grateful to be alive and enjoying every minute of whatever he's got left in a way that is more old guy than drug guy.
2: Do you, everything you just said is what I, when I think of you, I know that sounds like uh, to the, the parallel. It's just like, do you feel like you're doing that? You're kind of going in this I'm same trajectory.
1: I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You know, things start to, uh, mean less and, and, you know, resentments, you know, should be kind of, uh, uh, ebbing though. I still have a couple. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would hope I could age that well and I hope I have the opportunity to age that well, but But it's just, it's very interesting. When I, the first time I interviewed Keith, you know, he was like, it became very clear that, you know, whatever anyone has hung on him, like if you read that book, Life, it's a huge book, his autobiography. Mm. It's fucking astounding. Like, you know, yeah, because like, you know, a guy like me, I spent my whole life associating Keith Richards with a lifestyle that you know, I aspired to, which was a drug addict. <laughs> he said he was the coolest.
2: Yeah. I mean it's I hate to say it like that, to be like, oh man, like to do heroin. Oh God, to be
1: in France. But, but not just do heroin. They were getting such high grade heroin, they were skin popping it. They didn't even stick it in their vein. It was so good, you know, they just shoot it right into their muscle and get fuck he had all these keloid scars because he was doing it that way. Oh, wow. as opposed as opposed to burning his veins out. Sure. Like, you know, it, but you just doing regular dope. You can't do it like that. But they were getting such high grade dope, so he could do it like that and not fucking crap his veins out. Yeah. And now, so many people died. You know, like for every Keith Richards, you know, for every, there's like, you know, uh, there's like uh, 10 dead junkies, you know, sure. to, to one yeah, Keith yeah, Richards yeah. or hundreds of dead junkies. You got to learn how to play guitar, dude. You can't just do the heroin. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or the Wonder Years or Band on the Rise, like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if that mathematics works out, but the point is, <laughs> it works. It works. You know, after reading the book, I was like, "Oh my God, this guy's deeply intelligent." You know, he 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 knows. You know, he's he's the Stones in his mind, and I think are his band. He is the band leader, you know, and Mick Jagger is his singer. Sure. That's how he looks at it. So, and that's how it is. So you read that book, not only does he know about literature and poetry and music, and he's just this very intellectual, lofty guy. And, you know, he has full fucking uh, memory of a lot of things. I'm sure someone helped him write it. But, you know, I read that book and I'm like, holy shit, I was diminishing who this guy was just thinking of him as this junkie who could barely keep his shit together. Of course he could keep his shit together. The Stones are still playing music. You think you could do that with a guy who can and you know, Jagger complains or whatever and whatever problems they have, but I was sort of like, I misread him. He's so much more than I ever anticipated. And when I interviewed him, you know, I could tell him like it's like, you know, he does not, you know, to hang that on him, that he's just like, you know, the the only thing that's going to be left after Armageddon is, you know, cockroaches and Keith Richards or, you know, this old this old junkie is like he hasn't done dope in decades. You know, he does. He's, he's on some sort of maintenance. You know, he does. You know, he drinks. I think he likes to drink orange soda and vodka. And, you know, he's on and off cigarettes, I believe. I don't think he's doing any bumps, but he certainly hasn't done heroin in in, in decades. Yeah. So for that to still be hanging over him for and, and to define who he is, I think annoys him. Sure. sure. You know, sure. And because he's so much more than that, really. And, like, I got to be honest with you, the two of them, uh, you know, just the Stones in general, I have, like, not unlike any sort of, work of genius. So like you know m- music is magic. You know comedy is a trick. You know that only works once or twice. How many times can you fucking hear a story or a joke yeah. really? So what I have found with the Stones and me is like my affection and appreciation of their music uh evolves as I get older. It you know it, it never becomes um stagnant. Like you know within the last 5 years I had a moment listening to Love You Live where I'm like, "Oh my god. It would all fall apart." if 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 bill and charlie weren't on top of this yeah and like you just have these moments where like i said i just recently tuned my guitar like keith's and started dicking around with that and it's this whole other world and after talking to keith you know twice and you know i I just and after that the blue and lonesome record like it just my affection for them and their genius which I believe that any work of genius will grow with you. Like you will have new experiences with stuff that you've had an experience with all your life. And yeah, That's what yeah. is that's the so, gift. That was so perfect to say it like that. It's like, there's still
2: songs that, uh, I could listen to scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel oh,
1: that's hilarious. a million times, yeah. and
2: I still like, you get they get to that big ending, and I'm like, I'm, it makes me happy that I'm alive, so yeah, I have yeah. experience yeah. it, like, because it's so beautiful. And if you, like, you, you couldn't have said any better. It's just the music evolves with you, and the older you get, you hear a lyric differently, and
1: you fall more in love with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a nostalgia to it, obviously, right? Because, you know, it's part of your wiring when you fall in love with a song. So there's that element, but the the bigger element is that. It's sort of like, and also, like, you you know, it sounds different everywhere now because of different mixes, reissues, masters, right? But, But that's not the point, like... You know, you hear things differently, and you're like, "I never noticed that." Yeah, that little flourish or that little part, or like, you know, what that really meant. Like, I didn't know any of that about when the whip comes down. It kind of ruined it for me. But, but <laughs> sorry, it's all right. No, no, I mean, it sounds like a sad story, but yeah. the, to me, it was just sort of a rocking tune. But, but I'm not great with lyrics, anyways. Lyrics Neither on am my I. Diet.
2: Neither am I. Here we got two more, and then uh-huh. I, then I got a couple of questions I want to ask uh, to get us out of here. Uh, so, why your thoughts on Beats' Beast of Burden? Um I don't know really what it what uh, I I love that song. Sure, sure. Big hit. It's uh let's say you you want to know what it's about. Uh it's sure. A, it's about gay street hustlers. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. Um it's uh it's the a beast of burden is an animal that labors for the benefit of man like an ox or a pack. Yeah. Uh sometimes it's understood or misunderstood as a put down. This is a rare stone song that treats women as equals. Uh-huh. Uh, Jagger sings, he don't need no beast of burden. This isn't about a specific woman. Most women uh, in Stone songs are composites of many. Keith Richards was asked uh, how much of this song was about his relationship with Jagger. Mick wrote a lot of it, he said, but it laid, But I laid the general idea for him. At the time, Mick was getting used uh, to running the band. Charlie was just the drummer. I was the other guy. I was the other guitar player, I mean or I was a guitar player. Who says was, Keith? This is what yes, yeah, Keith said. I was trying to say, okay, I'm back. So let's share a bit more of the power. Share the weight, brother. This song could be uh, allegorical if it was written, not if, it was written by Keith it's kind of a homage to Mick for having to carry the band yeah. while Keith was strung out on heroin. Yeah, All of your sickness, I can suck it up, throw it all at me, I can shrug it off. Yeah, nice, um, love it. Yeah, it's great um, because I like what you said. It's like it, it, about how it, it is, Keith is kind of the, <laughs> He's the fucking, the meat and potatoes of it. And well, Mick I mean, is sure. just, it's like, it's he's like, the sexy guy. Mick is just up there. And well, he's they're
1: doing, both their own sexy, but yeah.
2: But yeah, but I mean, Mick sure. is like, you know, like, I mean, the big lips, he, the dancing. It's like, he's,
1: you know. Front man. I mean, he's the front man, yeah. yeah.
2: He, and he and he kills it. I still have never. Real charmer. I still have never seen them live. And I, and I got into this, I know, it's like, I'm, I'm, well, I'm assuming you've probably seen them. A couple times. A couple times. Um, Three. Three.
1: That's it. Yeah. I saw him in, at the Garden in 81 for the Tattoo You tour. And I saw him down here in San Diego on the one before the last tour. And then the last tour, I saw him at the Hard Rock in Fort Lauderdale on on their last date in the States.
2: It's one of the bands that, like, I, I, I started getting to that place in my in my life where and it's now mm-hmm. not that I have money, because me and my buddy always used to talk about what we were going to do when we had money. And it was literally just go to concerts, yeah. go see movies, shit like that. And And, uh... Neil Diamond was somebody that I always wanted to see live. I don't know why. I just was I've always been obsessed. I've always loved his music. He's cheesy, but it's just yeah. my my mom used to listen to him. You, you fall you fall in love
1: with him. You're you know, real, real East Coast Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I, I, I wear it with pride. I wear my Billy love for Joe Neil Diamond. E Diamond. I, yeah, look, man. I you know uh, that record. Yeah, you know, when he did the jazz singer. He's written a couple of great songs that were covered greatly by other people. But yeah, Neil Diamond's, uh, yeah, it's great.
2: Well, he's But this is the thing is that I remember he the last, it, huh? I missed it because he got Parkinson's. And so he's oh. not going to tour anymore. And I, it was funny because a few years ago at the Greek, he did uh, the 40th anniversary of Hot August Nights, which yeah. is like this big record for him. I remember, yeah. And it just bums me out. So the same thing where it's like if the, the Stones are coming around and I'm in town, like I'm going to see him. I don't care if it's a thousand dollars. Like Bruce is going to be playing Barclays and MSG. I'm going to that. I'm, I'm, Christ, I'm going to go see Madonna. Yeah. Just because it's like I got to. I I want to say that I saw her. Yeah. And and this is one of those bands where it's like I I just think that even though I'm I'm I don't know these deep album cuts. I mean, they're just a band that just is. It's just hit after hit after hit. The great thing
1: about seeing them live is they're messy. What do you mean? Well, they, they don't have any backing tracks. You know, they're all playing their shit. And so there's
2: fuck-ups? Yeah, for sure. Oh, God, that's dope. It's the best.
1: <laughs> and, you know, and Ronnie and Keith are just, you know, they're right at the edge of being chaos anyways. And now Keith, get, you know, you just, like I do a bit now, it used to be like uh, you were concerned whether, you, you know, Keith was going to, uh, y- 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 what was the, what am I doing? It's like now, like, this is, like the suspense is really like whether he's going to make the chord. Like you know, like he'll cock,
2: you know. And then you like, nah, you know,
1: <laughs> and you get excited if he just hits the core. Before you're worried if he's going to fall down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, last
2: song on the record, shattered.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the one I had the biggest problem with because of... Why? Because, of, like, I think that, that that SNL appearance kind of scarred me. I thought, like, I just got this weird feeling about Mick yeah. uh, doing that. You know, it, it seemed like there was a little bit of trying too hard there. Like, I, th- I feel like, you know, like, it seems like Miss You and, you know, disco culture and doing a dance track was easier for Mick than him trying to do a punk rock song. Sure. It seemed like... You know, uh, like, he, they're really trying too hard. Uh, but they're really doing, it's not, well, you, you, I was talking to, my I, I'm, I keep
2: bringing up Morty, who was at the show last night, and, and, you know, I always talk to him about these records because it's like, I don't, I can't, like, I don't. I don't want to act like I know everything about the band, but yeah. if I can sit down and have like a good discussion, and and you know, keep this in mind, the band is making this record. They're in their mid thirties, and in rock and roll back in the seventies, that means your career is almost done. Yeah, it's about youth, and and so disco is this hot new thing. Punk rock is everything that rock and roll should be. I mean, these guys, like, live in mansions. They have all the money in the world. If they want to just fade away and just be millionaires, they can do that.
1: But they they were also, like, you know, they're really sort of, like, punk rock is really built on the back of these guys. You know, I mean, they were the original punks. Sure. You know, and whatever you know if you listen to you know that first wave of well a, c- a certain type of punk you know that wasn't experimental music but you know like the ramones yeah or that's like that, the that, new york Dolls that's back to and, the roots of rock and roll it's sure. a two-minute song yeah. you know and i and i think that you know you know shattered was uh uh it wasn't risky because it doesn't sound unlike a stone song like even even on like like one of my favorite stone songs is on uh it's only rock and roll, dance, little sister, which is really almost like a two chord run. Yeah. That's and that was, you know, that's as punk rock as anything else in a way. But I just felt like seeing Mick, and not, and this is the problem with Mick. Like I just recently was scrolling through my reels because I'm laying in bed with you know by myself, just looking at my phone. And I saw Mix like, when they signed up for TikTok, it was Mix saying, hey, I hope you enjoy us on TikTok and have a good time with our music. And, and I'm like, well, that's always who that guy's been. You know, he wants to be on the pulse of things. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
2: That, I gotta watch that. That's so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> yeah, we are, we're on TikTok now. Exactly. You sign up. Don't forget to share. But I Let's love looking at the that
1: YouTube. A, the official Keith great and not TikTok on Instagram is great because it's just him, like you know, like in his dressing room, plinking around on guitars. I love he's that a,
2: one. I love that one where it's like he's he's wishing everybody like a Merry Christmas, yeah. and he just says he's like gold rings for you, oh, gold rings to you, yeah, yeah. And that just remind it's there like the. They, the the older rock stars have this cool level that is something for, I've never heard anybody say gold rings on you. Yeah. And it reminded me when I had Billy Gibbons on the podcast uh, to talk about Eliminator. And at the end of it, I was like, dude, I, just, I had such a great time. Thank you for coming on. He goes, oh, man, it was a gas. And I'm just like, that's the coolest shit yeah. anybody's ever said. The rock stars, they, they they don't make the rock stars like, like they used to. It's, he played
1: slide guitar on a cigar box guitar on, on, when I interviewed him. He oh, God. It. It's so good. He played uh, the ballad of Billy the Kid. Like, you are sitting right in front of me. I mean, like that's got
2: to be, that's got to be,
1: like, you, you can, like, crazy. That's what I'm saying. You can be happy, dude. Yeah, you're happy. fucking killing it. I'm all right. You're, ki- you're killing it, I'm dude. It, guys. I
2: mean, yeah, you you're taking a giant bag of cat litter out to the street, but yeah. dude who gives a shit, dude. You're That's fucking- my life. I know, but you're killing it. Thanks, pal. Um all right. So I wanted to go over this before I get what? you out of here. So this is I, I wanna I have this whole run of like of like how many records that we got uh for here it is. So we'll put it. So this is the second of ten times we're gonna be talking about the Rolling Stones on the five hundred. Uh, we had Tom Everett Scott. Uh, from the actor on back at 357 for Between the Buttons. Tattoo You came in at number 213. The Rolling Stones now at 180. Out of Our Heads at 116. Aftermath at 109. Sticky Fingers at 64. Beggar's Banquet at 58. Let It Bleed at 32. And Exile on Main Street at number seven. Now this is the 2012 list. The 2020 re-rank.
1: Where's Some Girls?
2: Some girls. Was, so we're at. Uh, hold on, we're, we are at number two seventy. Huh. Uh, that's. But I keep saying this is the this is the twenty. Yeah. This is a twenty twelve list. And on the twenty twenty re rank, they changed everything, and I have the new rankings. Hold on, let me read these, and you tell me if you feel like these are apt. Where yeah. is it? There it is, right there. I got so much. Here we go. Where's the? Where's the stranger? Uh, stranger, I'd have to look, but it's. I think it's in the bottom hundred. Oh yeah, we've only there's only a couple of Billy Joel records. We did Fifty uh, Seventh Street. Yeah, um, I think The Stranger. I don't think many more. Billy didn't uh, Glass Houses. Gla- I don't think Man. I don't think Glass Houses is on it. I, Piano Man's definitely not on it. Um, all right, so on the twenty. Stranger's great. I loved it. It's I went me me and Burr just went to go see him. Like Burr hits me up because I go. Yeah. T- I take mushrooms and I go see Billy Joel in yeah. Madison Square Garden. It's my therapy. Yeah. And uh, I told Bill about it. and He was like, "Let's do that. Let's go here." Sounds at so like your
1: disease talking.
2: <sighs> yeah. Go ahead. I I look at it as uh, listen because I don't I don't drink. No, it's good. It's good. It's but it's. But, just, I was joking. I know. You're but are Are you right? We'll cut that out. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> the 2020 re-rank. This album dropped to yeah. this album dropped to 468, 197 spots. Uh, Aftermath dropped to 330. It's 468. Some girls. Some girls dropped out of 500. Out of 500. This is the new list. This is the oh, new Oh, new they news.
1: had to integrate a bunch of new stuff.
2: Yeah. Beggar's Banquet fell to 184. Holy shit. Sticky Fingers to 107, 104. Where's Exile? I'm getting there. It stayed... No, oh, no, no, no. Let It Bleed for, to number 41. Exile and Main Street to number 14. Uh, Between the Buttons, Tattoo You, Out of Our Heads, and Rolling Stones Now did not make the cut. So only six albums All right. uh, sur- uh, survived.
1: Okay. Do you, do
2: you find that the ones that are on... These records that are on this new re rank, do you think that that's like, like, apt? Do you think that they deserve
1: what it's fine? Who gives a fuck about lists? You're right, but I mean, like, yeah, those are all good records. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that, yeah, that Let It Bleed and and um and uh, Exile are still pretty good up there, but like, you know, everything becomes reassessed as you got to make room, you got to make room if you're gonna, you know, have a, a ceiling or, or you're gonna have a finite number. You know, new shit comes out every year. You have to make room. What's number one?
2: On the new list? Yeah. The new list is uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. It was, on mine, it was Sgt. Pepper. Sergeant Pepper, Pet Sounds. Um, I'd have to look at the rest, but it was like Exile on Main Street. Oh, there's a lot of Bob Dylan on there, like uh, yeah. uh, Blonde on Blonde, Highway... was highway, it? Highway 61, 61 yeah. Revisited. That was on there. Um... The Clash, yeah. uh, London Calling. Uh-huh. I think that's in the top ten. Nirvana, never mind.
1: Marvin Gaye's a good record. That's a good record.
2: Yeah, but the 2020 re-rank came out during... They did that during the summer of, like, George Floyd. And to be honest, this 2012, uh, 2012 list was a lot of, like, old white guys putting in... I mean, there were albums on here that you're like, really, that's on here? And, sure. And, like, how is this not on there? And on this new list... like,
1: you know, who the fuck makes these lists?
2: Well, this one was, like, our list was, you know... Uh, just rock stars and A&R dudes and uh, uh, corporate, you know, the guys, the decision makers and a lot of artists. The new list, it was like, there was very multicultural. Uh, But here's what's funny. On the new list, Sgt. Pepper, which was number one on mine, dropped to number 25. Uh, But
1: Pet Sounds... It's about time. Pet Sounds, you don't like Sgt. Pepper? Of course I like it, but that's fine. Yeah, things shift. Sure, but but Pet Sound's what?
2: Pet Sound stays at number two. Yeah. And I just had Mike Love on my podcast with John Stamos. And yeah. and John Stamos is like the happiest dude. He's like, you know, he's like human yeah, Prozac. Like yeah. um, all right, I'm going to ask you these questions yeah. uh, and then we'll get you out of here. And I, dude, I... This is the best, right. just to be able to sit down and talk to you. Thanks, Finally, man. yeah, it's nice. Finally, well, we, we're friends now, right? Oh yeah, get on with it. Okay, you're yeah. gonna follow me on social media, are you? Can we can, we, goes up, can yeah. we make it
1: official? Yeah, like which one? Like Instagram and shit. Yeah, Instagram. I fine. barely follow anybody, but all right, go ahead. All right,
2: here we go. What's your favorite song on this record?
1: Uh, I would say. I, I would say respectable, probably. Really? Yeah. I just like the I like the pace, nice all right,
2: what's your least favorite song on this record and that's I know that's a loaded question, but what would you skip over? If um, you're just you're giving it as a listen,
1: probably uh just my imagination,
2: yeah, that's see me too, yeah, um, can you fuck to this record
1: uh which I'm
2: assuming you've fucked to many uh, Rolling Stones that's been playing I don't know, like, I, you know, I'm like,
1: I can't remember like being a guy that's sort of like, let me put this record on so we can fuck, but, uh, generally, so, but, in but, but college be all, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in, like, in college, I remember, like, I, I remember tr- fucking to Roxy Music and yeah, see uh, that that you can fuck to Roxy yeah.
2: Roxy. There's a and Brian Eno. What's music? the which, what like another Green World Avalon? <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Another
1: Green World's fuckable, except there's some weird musical breaks on there. Yeah,
2: a couple, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but
1: but Avalon was the Roxy music one more than this. Yeah, than this. what's your go to? What's
2: your go to? You're, you're I don't you're about... fuck to
1: music anymore.
2: What nothing? No,
1: just the, <laughs> just pure <laughs> the fucking
2: the sound of your old bones. Oh. No. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know if I hear my old bones. I just, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I why why
2: add a layer? I, Big Jay Okerson makes fun of me because there was he met a girl that I hooked up yeah. with, and she goes, she goes, yeah, it was great. But he's like, but right before we got started, she does an impersonation. He's yeah. like, Alexa, play Porter's head. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just... I don't know what's more disturbing about that—you pointing Portishead at, or you sharing girls with Jay? <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't hook up with her. Oh, she, okay.
2: she was, uh, she did, uh, she was like a sex expert that, that he had on. And oh, okay. She's kind of in the scene here in L.A. and New York, and we had hooked up like a few times. Very well-read, beautiful girl, Laura Desiree. Follow her. She's awesome. I, I think I heard her. You, you met her. She looks like <laughs> she kind of looks like Zool from Ghostbusters, like Bridget Nielsen with the short, tight, oh, blanched, tall. I feel like I met her. Probably. She used to hang out at the store. Great girl. Yeah. Uh, um, all right, uh, all right. Final question: Yeah, what would be uh, what would be your elevator pitch to get somebody to listen to this album?
1: Um, I would say production-wise, this is the cleanest, most kind of raw Stones record of that time, maybe of all time. There's something very clean about this production, and almost every song is a rocker. And the guitars on it of the two of them getting to know each other, uh, Ronnie and Keith, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Dude, promote away anything you want to promote.
1: What do you mean? I don't got nothing to promote. I got a podcast called WTF. (laughs) If you want to see me do comedy, if you're in L.A., I'm usually at the comedy store. Uh, A movie I was in called Two Leslie uh, is available to watch. And my special, HBO special. It's great. It's it's one of my favorite ones
2: that you've done, dude. Thanks. It's so
1: great. From Bleak to Dark is probably the best work I've done in my almost 40 years of comedy
2: Wait, do you remember the guy that guy Marcus fuck Marcus Hillman yeah that he said he was there working at Sirius when you first started that was what I wanted to start Marcus
1: with. Hillman he was at Air America Yes. Yeah. I remember Marcus. He, you, you asked he's a me, weirdo. He is a weirdo. You yeah. asked me what like you made you said,
2: Did anything happen to you at Hebrew school? <laughs> yeah. Was I, it I Marcus met, Hillman? I met Marcus Hillman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of a character. He was. He I think
2: he, I think he's still he's, I mean, he reaches out every once in a while and, and but anytime time I posted something with you and I yeah. together, he always messaged me. He's like, Tell him hey, tell him Marcus Hillman says hi. Yeah, he's so Marcus right. Hillman says all hi.
1: All right, good.
2: Uh thank you for coming on, bud.
1: Fine. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. What I tell you,
2: what I tell you, the one and only Mark Marin. Follow him on all social media at Mark Marin. Go to his website, WTFpod.com, and watch his brand new special, From Bleak to Dark, on Hubbo. That's HBO. All right, who do we got for new music? We got English rock band, The Coral. You're listening to the song Change Your Mind off their 2021 record, Coral Island. And you can find links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And we will play your song on the podcast. You just got to send it to us. Send us your song, baby. We'll make it roll. Next week is Jesus and Mary Chain Week as we go deep into Psycho Candy from 1985. So do your homework. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Your voice is calling I can't give up the chain.
1: Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18+. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the world. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.
0: Next Chapter Podcasts.